Well, we're marching along in our summer series on uh, uh, dreams of a normal summer as we look at all those things that we couldn't do last year and we're looking forward to doing this summer and how those things can actually help us to draw closer to God. And today we're looking at boating. Now, I don't know if you are a, a fishing boat kind of person or a cruise boat kind of person. But last year it didn't matter because the cruises were canceled and uh, just try to find a new boat. They just weren't available, not even the used ones. But this year cruises are back. The first one from the U.S. just, uh, uh, just departed recently and, and boats are coming back uh, into the showroom. The sl- supply is building back up so there's a chance that you can get out and do some boating this summer and I hope you can. And depending on where and when, boating can be an excellent way of drawing close to God. We'll just ask the the people from Psalm 107, whose boat ride turned into a a real come-to-Jesus kind of moment. It says, Some went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. And in their peril, their courage melted away. And they reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wit's end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. Doesn't that description of their boat ride sound a little bit like a description of what we went through this past year? Only we were on dry land. With COVID and and unrest and politics and job challenges and travel complications and crazy climate. Well, there's so many changes and we were exhausted and and disoriented and maybe even a little afraid. Our courage melted and we reeled and staggered. We were at our wit's end and we cried out to the Lord in our trouble. And like for those ancient mariners, God stilled the storms in our lives. God hushed the crashing waves and brought us out of our distress. And so we give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love. Now, you don't have to go through a boat ride in a storm to to draw close to God. A good day of fishing can be a, a chance to praise the Lord too, or relaxing on an evening cruise, maybe going down a river or, or out in the ocean. All those things can, can help us to grow, grow closer to God. In fact, you don't even need to be on the water. Did you know that you're sitting in a boat right now? Yep. At least those of you who are seated in this part of the sanctuary, I don't know about you up in the tech booth. You see, in church architecture, where you're sitting is called the nave. Up here, this is the chancel. Up the platform is the chancel. And out there in the lobby is called the narthex. But the place where the people sit in worship is called the nave, as in navy. 
It comes from the Latin for ship. You are sitting in the boat right now. And, and some churches even intentionally design their ceilings to look like an upside-down boat, just to emphasize that. I don't know if you've ever been to a church like this, but they'll use the planks and they'll use the curved wood to make it look like an upside-down boat. Now, now, our ceiling here isn't quite the right shape, but if you use your imagination, you can almost see us being able to, to flip this ceiling over and set it out on the Mississippi and all of us cruise down the river together. You're in the nave. You're in the navy that we call the church. Pastor Chris, who was pastor here before I arrived, he was literally a navy chaplain. And uh, he left when he was called away to, uh, to serve the Navy in Africa. And, and I stepped in here at Resurrection. But you could also say that I'm a Navy chaplain. Not the U.S. Navy, but the Navy here that we call Resurrection Church. For all of you who are in the ship, who are on the boat, who are in the Navy, in the Navy, and the image of a boat for the, chip, for the church goes way back. But why? Why an image of a boat for the church? Maybe we could have, uh, if we had trains back then, there maybe it would have been a train. And uh, sometimes people do make allusions to trains. This train is bound for glory, one of the songs that the BBS kids sang. But today it's the boat. It's the ship. And why that image for the church? Well, maybe, well, maybe it's because of stories like in, in Matthew 14. I don't expect you to remember all of the, the details of every chapter of Matthew, but in chapter 14, we have the story of the feeding of the 5,000. And it takes place there on the, on the lakeshore. And there was a boy who had five loaves of bread and two fish. Remember that? And Jesus took them and he divided them and he, and he fed the whole crowd but then he does something that's, that seems a little strange. He says to his disciples, get back on the boat and go off to the other side of the lake, the Sea of Galilee. Well, I talk to the people after dinner here. And that's what, that's what he does. And so there are the disciples in the boat together as sent by Jesus. See, an image of the church. Here's how the story goes, though. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get in the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Now, this isn't the the story in chapter 8 where Jesus calms the storm because in that story he's already in the boat with them. In this story, they are in the boat alone. But you can see how, how it could be an image of the church. And as is often the case, life in the boat isn't easy. They're, the wind is against them. They're facing a headwind as so often we in the church are. 
And I want to point out what kind of boat they're traveling in. They are not traveling in a big cruise ship. The boat that they're traveling in is a working boat. It's a fishing boat. It's the kind of a boat that they would be using on the Sea of Galilee. <coughs> and you may like to vacation on, on cruise ships, but the church, this nave, this navy, is really more like the working boat of Jesus' day. You see, on a cruise ship, the crew pampers the passengers. It's all about the passengers' comfort and entertainment. But on a boat, like in the Bible here, the crew and the passengers are one. There's no distinction. Everybody pulls together. And on a cruise ship, you can do your own thing. And there are thousands of things to do. And you can do them or not, and you can do them with somebody else or not. But in a boat in Jesus' day, everybody pulled together. Everybody pulled on the oars. Everybody helped with the sails or with the, the meals or even with the singing to keep people encouraged and, and to help them on their travels. They worked it all t together. And on a cruise ship, the purpose is the cruise. But on a working boat in, in Jesus' day, they had a different purposes. Maybe it was fishing, like the disciples used to do. Or maybe it was hauling cargo, like in Psalm 107. Or maybe it was helping people overcome their fear and dare to do amazing things by trusting in Jesus, like in Matthew 14. You ever wonder what those disciples were thinking when Jesus told them to get in the boat and he sent them off by themselves? I mean, it makes no sense. How was he going to get across? How was he going to catch up with them? No wonder they were scared when, when Jesus shows up walking on the water. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. It's I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. The ride wasn't easy. They had rowed all night against the wind. But still, that was easier than what Jesus invites Peter to do, to get out of the boat and walk on the water. Can you imagine responding to an invitation like that from Jesus? Come, he says. And to Peter's credit, he gets out of the boat. So what about you? Do you have the courage to get out of the boat and walk with Jesus? Do you have the the courage to do things that you've never done before, things that may seem impossible because Jesus invites you to, to do them with him. Sitting in the boat and struggling against the waves is one thing, but daring to get out of the boat and walking on the waves, that's a whole other level of trust. <clears throat> but when we do, when we as individuals and as Resurrection Church 
dare to go where Jesus invites us, we find a whole new world opens up to us. Todd Bolsinger in his book, Canoeing the Mountains, think about that for a minute, compares life in the church right now to the Lewis and Clark expedition and their famous Corps of Discovery that, that surveyed the West. And if you remember your history class, back in 1803, the Louisiana Purchase just doubled the size of the United States. So President Jefferson sent the Corps of Discovery to learn about this new land, to, to research all the, the strange plants and animals, to map out the territory, to develop relationships with the Native American tribes, and most of all, to discover the way to boat across America. You see, Lewis and Clark and everybody else figured there was this Northwest Passage that if you just went far enough on the rivers, you could get all the way over to the Pacific Ocean. Now, they knew that there was a mountain in the way. But what they figured was, it was simple. The, the mountains went like this. And so you just canoed up until you got to the top of the mountain. You picked up your canoe, hopped over the other, to the other side, and canoed down the mountain out to the Pacific Ocean. It made perfect sense. It seemed so easy. But unfortunately, that's not how the Rocky Mountains work. For two years and 2,300 miles, they had paddled upstream on the Missouri River until it was nothing more than a trickle. I know any of you ever been to the headwaters of the Mississippi in Minnesota? I bet I task you, raise your hand if you have been. Okay. And did you walk across the water there at the headwaters? Raise your hand if you walked across. Yes. At least half of you. Why did you do that? So you, could bra so you could brag that you walked across the Mississippi, right? I Probably a million people or more have done that. Go to the headwaters of the Mississippi and walk across that, that little stream there. Now, it's not exactly Peter walking on the water, but it's still pretty cool. But the Missouri is different. <clears throat> it doesn't have Lake Itasca. The Missouri, if you follow the tributaries up to the, to the very top of the mountain, <clears throat> just gets smaller and smaller until finally it's just a little trickle. They record in their journals that two miles below the peak, Corps member Hugh McNeil did his own version of the Itasca walk, uh, except he straddled the Missouri with one foot on one side of the Missouri and the other foot on the other side, with the little trickle right in between. According to their journal, McNeil, quote, thank God that he lived to have a foot on each side of the heretofore deemed endless Missouri. Remember, two years, 2,300 miles. They have been pushing their boat, and, then they, and when it got smaller into canoes, and on they've gone. Now they've reached it, and all they had to do now, they're just two miles from the top, two miles up and over, catch the next stream down to the Pacific. Except Lewis writes this. We proceeded to the top of the dividing ridge from which I discovered immense ranges of high mountains still to the west of us with tops partially covered in snow. 
in language that he thought but didn't record in his official journals for the government. <laughs> oh, bleep. You can't canoe the mountains. So they had a choice. Deal with the changes, get out of their boats, find a way to accomplish their mission, or just give up and go home. They had a choice. So what did they do? They summoned the courage to change their plans and to find another way. Now, fortunately for the Corps, Sacagawea, who was the wife of their translator, Charbonneau, she was along on the trip, too. She and her newborn child, if you can imagine that, all these, these uh, rough, tough explorers thinking that they are, are uh, so great and tough, and then you have Sacagawea and her little baby along on the very same trip. Now, I said it was fortunately for them that they had Sacagawea because Sacagawea was from that part of the country. She had been, been kidnapped as a child by, by the Mandans, and she had, was far from her country when, when she became a part of the Corps. But she recognized things from her childhood when they got up to the to the end of the Missouri. And even though she wasn't an, off, wasn't an officer, she wasn't an, an enlisted man, she wasn't even an official member of the Corps, still they listened to this young Native American woman. And she convinced them that they needed to, to change their plans. They needed to get out of their canoes and buy horses from her tribe to make that journey through the Rockies. And then once they finally got through the Rockies, then they could get canoes again and canoe on down to the Pacific Ocean. Now, there are a lot of lessons for the church in the story of the Corps of Discovery. But, and you can read about them in, uh, if you pick up the book, Canoeing the Mountains. Um, I don't get a cut. It's just uh, a good book. But there's, there's one thing I want you to remember here today. I want you to remember that the Corps of Discovery could never have accomplished their purpose if they hadn't had the courage to change their plans, get out of their canoes, and follow Sacagawea across the mountains. In our world today, there are many changes. There are many challenges. And from our seat here in the boat, in the nave, those challenges may seem insurmountable, impossible. But if we have the courage to listen to Jesus, if we have the courage to step out of the boat, even the impossible becomes possible. It ends this way. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God.
Jesus is the Son of God. And no, what, no matter what challenges and what changes we face, what difficulties we go through, he's always there to reach out his hand and catch us. He won't let us sink. And what good news that is for those of us in the nave, in the boat, to know that Jesus will not let us sink. He'll reach out his hand and he'll calm the wind and the waves. Well, I hope this summer you get a chance to do some, some boating. And whatever it is that you like, whether it's fishing boats or ski boats or, or just cruising down the river or floating on a canoe, whatever it is you like, I hope you get a chance to do some of that. But remember that in addition to that boat, you have another boat that you're in, the boat of the church. And sometimes it's a wonderful ride, and it, we're all together and everything is calm, and it's like this morning. But other times life in the church gets difficult. And yet, no matter what, if we trust in Jesus, if we step out onto the waves, we can do the impossible. And even if our faith falters, Jesus reaches out his hand and holds us. He won't let us sink. He won't let us sink. Whatever storm you're in today, whatever storm you might face next week or next month or next year, know that you have one who walks on the waves and won't let you sink. One who will reach out his hand and hold you and calm the troubled seas. So as the VBS kids learned this week, be strong and courageous, all you who put your hope in the Lord. Psalm 31, 24. Be strong and courageous, for the one who walks on water will not let you think. He will calm your troubled seas and be there for you. Let us pray. Lord, there are many storms in life, and some of them are, are real, literal storms out on the waters. Some are storms on land. And some are figurative storms, the storms in our heart, the storms in our relationships, the storms in, in our souls. And yet... We're not on our own. Give us eyes to see you walking on the water toward us, reaching out your hand and inviting us to come and do the impossible because you'll be there with us and you won't let us sink.